0: You may be seated. Amen. What a good day. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love that hymn. Isn't that great? Every word of that, so encouraging. We'll take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. As we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we will, Lord willing, complete Philippians chapter 1 this morning as we're looking in verses 27 through 30. Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. As I have been meditating on this text this week, praying through it and thinking about it, I have found myself consistently thinking about two contrasting stories, both true stories and both very different stories. One story is of a 21st century Christian family and the other is of a first century Christian church. The story of the 21st century family is one that I experienced myself. About a year ago, I was talking to a family who we knew from our old neighborhood, and I knew that they had been looking for a church for about a year. And I I saw the mother in this family, and I said, hey, listen, I know you guys have been searching for a church. Have you found a church yet? She goes, no, we haven't, and honestly, we're very discouraged. We've been looking for over a year. We just can't seem to find the right place, and I said, well, what exactly are you looking for? And she said, well, when we we started this search, we decided there were three non-negotiables. The first one was, is we needed a church in this upper northwest kind of corridor of the Dallas area because our kids go to school up there, and although we don't live up there, a lot of our friends live up there, and we just feel like we need to go to church up there. Our our second non-negotiable is we need a place that both we love and our kids love, that we just go and we get done, and our kids have had a great time, and we've had a great time. It's just a good fit for everybody. And the third is that it has to have a Saturday night service because we really like to keep our Sundays for ourselves. They said, so that narrowed it down to three different churches. There were this many churches like this in Dallas-Fort Worth. They said there were three churches that were a possibility, so we began to, to visit all three of those churches. They said, well, the first one we visited, the kids didn't like. We loved it, but the kids didn't like it and you do know we live in a day now in which parents will choose a church that they hate because their kids like it. it is a strange thing that's a different sermon (laughs) they said the second church we visited uh our kids loved but but we didn't like and and vice versa just we found one they liked and one we liked and it just wasn't a good fit the third church we tried was perfect we loved it. Our kids loved it. Everybody left excited. We visited a couple of times, and it really has been great. And I said, well, well, great, then you found a church. They said, no, no, we, we haven't found a church yet. I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, their Saturday night service is at 6 o'clock, and we really prefer a 5 o'clock service. <laughs> I contrast that with a story of a first-century Christian church here's a bunch of people in Philippi minding their own business a man by the name of Paul they've never heard of comes and preaches a message they've never heard he leads a family to Christ by preaching the gospel he then delivers a little slave girl from a demonic spirit and then because of the message he's preached He is grabbed with his companions. He is dragged into the city where he is accused of preaching a message that does not go along with the beliefs of the Roman Empire. He is then brutally beaten and thrown into jail where while in jail, he leads the jailer and his family to Christ. He is then released from prison but commanded to never come back. Philippi wanted nothing to do with the message he was preaching. And as strange as it might seem, he left behind a house filled with people who gave their lives to Jesus Christ knowing full well that they would endure the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul just endured. So what's the difference in these two stories, this 21st century Christian family and this first century Christian church? The answer is simple. The family has embraced a Christianity that cost them nothing. Where first century Christians embraced a Christianity that might very well cost them everything. Now granted, we, we don't live in first century Philippi. So if you choose this morning, which I have been praying all morning that some of you would, to follow Jesus Christ, it probably will not cost you your life but let me tell you this, it must cost you something. I mean, the, the very call to come to Jesus is a call to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. It is a call to die daily. It is a call to selfless sacrifice. It is a call at the very least to love sacrificially, to serve sacrificially, to speak faithfully, to give sacrificially. Listen, a Christianity that costs nothing is simply not Christianity. Because at the very core of the call, it does call us to leave something in order to take up our cross. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to a group of people that we have a bit of a difficult time identifying with because it tells us at the very last verse of chapter 1 that they are engaged in the same conflict that they saw that Paul had and hear that he is still having meaning. When Paul left, the believers are being beaten and publicly shamed and thrown into jail. And Paul's concern. Rightly so. He's concerned that in the midst of the conflict that they might fail to be faithful and he discovers there's something else going on, that there's internal conflict, so they're not getting along very well and there's all this external pressure and Paul writes out of deep love and deep concern that they be faithful to the gospel that they believed. He's begging them to be united. He's begging them to be fearless, but he's begging them to live a life of gospel faithfulness in the midst of the pressure and the conflict, simply be faithful to the gospel you believed. And This is why he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we looked at that last week. But the rest of this passage shows us what it means to be faithful to the gospel, no matter What time in which we live? The truth is, there is always pressure upon us. There is always a concern that we might not be as faithful as we should be to the gospel we once believed. And this passage is written out of a desire for every believer, for all generations, to live faithful to the gospel. If you're there at Philippians 1, verse 27, say amen. Here is what it says. Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. What does Paul want to hear? That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponent." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is a call to gospel faithfulness. To remain faithful until the moment in which the Lord takes you home to the gospel you have believed. And you say, well, how is it that we remain faithful? Well, Paul gives us three words. Verse 27, stand. Verse 27, strive. Verse 29, suffer. Suffer. And just somehow they're alliterated for us this morning. Praise God. Stand, strive, and suffer. And all three of these words are in the context of unity. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind side by side. They're also in the context of courage. Not frightened in anything by your opponent. So here's what Paul's saying. Is that if you as a believer, and the Lord is saying this to us today want to remain faithful to the gospel, if you want to come to the end of your life and hear that you have done well, then in a spirit of unity with a heart of courage, you must stand, strive, and suffer. So let's look at those three things together. The first way in which we live a life of gospel faithfulness is that we must courageously stand together for the gospel. If you're taking notes, write that down. Courageously stand together. It is the courage, which kind of is throughout this text. It is the togetherness, which is throughout this text. The uniqueness here is the idea of standing. We must, and I'm putting in a "we" because this is a corporate text. We must courageously stand together for the gospel. Paul says, "Whether I come and see or am absent, I want to hear that you are standing firm." Now, this is lost a little bit to us because we're not reading this in the original language, but those who were reading it in the original language would have understood that Paul here was using a military metaphor. They would have known that this word, stand firm, is a word that was used to refer to a soldier that was given a certain ground and commanded to hold that ground, even if it cost him his life. He was commanded by his officer that this is your ground, and you go there, and you stand that ground, and you do not give ground to the enemy, even if it costs you your life. It is the resolve of a soldier who will not leave his post, he will not back down, and he certainly will not retreat, and he goes into that post knowing that it actually might cost him his life. This is what Paul is saying, that there is in the heart of a believer an understanding that God has called us to believe what we believe in such a way that even when it is questioned, we do not waver. We hold our ground regardless of the pressure or the opposition that is around us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Even though we are long and far removed from first century Philippi, do you believe that we live in a time in which there is a need for believers to stand for the gospel and not retreat? This is just as big of a need as it was at that moment. It is a call on our lives to say absolutely when someone says to us, you really believe that? You you actually believe that there's only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus Christ and we say absolutely. Absolutely. You you really believe that if someone dies without giving their life to Christ, they will go to a literal hell? And we say, absolutely. You mean, you really believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman? And we say, absolutely. We stand on the truth of God's word and we do not retreat. And that will cost us something. It may not cost us our lives, but it will cost us something. So Paul is saying to these believers who have been confronted by all kinds of enemies to stand firm in what they believe. Now Paul uses this metaphor a lot. Sometimes he uses it negatively and sometimes positively. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, meaning believe what you believe and do not waver in it and do not retreat from it. But then he says this. He says in Ephesians 6, 12, Stand firm against the scheme of the devil. In other words, there's one side in which we just stand in what we believe and another side in which we stand against the works of the enemy. Both of those are calls upon our life. That we have a responsibility to stand faithfully against the demonic assaults against the church of Jesus Christ and against the family of those who love Christ. We take our stand against the enemy. One of my greatest favorite examples of this is at the end of Hebrews 10. We all love Hebrews 11, but uh, the only way we understand Hebrews 11 is really towards the end of Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32 and following But Paul, uh, or Luke, whoever wrote Hebrews, right before Hebrews 11 says this, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith. We are not the people who shrink back. No, 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 no. We are the people who stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. So he says, stand firm in one spirit. What does that mean? We are united. I don't believe that means the spirit of God. I I believe that means the spirit of oneness that brings us together, believing the same thing, committed to the same things. Even when everyone around us thinks we're increasingly insane, we say, yes, that's what we believe. I was thinking this week, how can this become a little bit more practical? Because I have a fear with sermons like this that we love to amen. I mean, I, I think we're getting more amens than we normally get, and praise the Lord for that. But I think there is something about this that resounds in us, and we say, that's right, we want to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was just, I was just thinking, how can that be practical? And I, and I had one practical thought for you on how to stand. It's this, listen. It is impossible for you to stand for something that you cannot articulate. So, the practical application is this know the gospel. Know the gospel. Be able to give a faithful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get online and look at the three circles, gospel presentation, or two ways to live, or the Romans Road. There's so many good gospel presentations. Listen, how in the world can we stand for something that we cannot articulate? And I fear that there are many people in this room who in their heart want to stand for the gospel. The problem is when it's time to stand, you cannot articulate clearly what the gospel is. So let's know it. And believe it and have it deep inside of our hearts so that when it's time to stand, we can stand. And Paul says, church, if you want to be faithful to the gospel in which you have believed, courageously stand together for it. But he moves on in verse 27. Not only must we courageously stand together for the gospel, we must courageously strive together for the gospel. Write that down. We courageously... Strive together for the gospel. Now, I I was taught to never mix metaphors, although I love when someone mixes a metaphor. It's just a great thing. But Paul here mixes a metaphor. He very clearly starts with this military metaphor, which is a great word picture, right? You're going to stand your ground and not retreat. But then he changes to an athletic metaphor. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Look at this next. Striving side by side. The word striving there is an athletic word. Actually, the root of that word is athleo. It is a word that they would have clearly understood was a word that meant athletics. It's the word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2.5 when he says, When an athlete competes, he competes according to the rules, and he competes in order to win a prize. Now here's what's beautiful about this, is you have this one metaphor of standing, which really is a bit of a defensive position, isn't it? I'm going to stand here, and I'm not going to move, and when the enemy comes against me, I am not going to let him take ground. But on the other side is a more aggressive metaphor, which reminds us that our goal is not just to keep the ground we've got, but to gain new ground. The Great Commission is not simply a call to stand ground, the Great Commission is a call to take ground. Our call is to go into enemy territory, to those who have been bound and blinded by the enemy, and through the preaching of the gospel to advance the kingdom of Christ. We're an advancing people, and I have to say, in some ways it's easier to stand than it is to strive, isn't it? It's easier to stand for what we believe than it is to outwardly and overtly live as if we're trying to win something. What Paul is saying is, listen, if you want to be faithful to the gospel, stand for what you believe, and then strive to advance what you believe. And he says, I want you to do this side by side, together, together. This is the same exact phrasing that Paul uses in the beginning of Philippians 4 when he talks about there's these two ladies that aren't getting along and he says they used to partner with me and be side by side with me in the gospel but now because they're failing to get along they're not doing that anymore and both of those together shows that it is possible for us to at one time have been striving for the gospel and at another time to not be striving for the gospel. It's exactly what's happening with these two ladies. The Apostle Paul says to the church, listen to the church, that God has united us and brought us together so by mutual encouragement and mutual prayer for one another, we might faithfully advance the gospel of Christ and take back the ground that the enemy has taken from us. What a glorious picture of the work that God has called us to. And he says, I want you to do it, listen, for the faith of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, advancing the message of Jesus Christ. And and, and you know what? That's what the church is. The church is a group of people standing and striving together for the gospel. Gathering every week, not just because we love each other, but because we want to come and be equipped and encouraged on how to do exactly this. And I love the beginning of verse 28. Look at what he says. And I want you to do this, standing and striving, not frightened in anything by your opponent. Now listen, remember their opponent. Their opponent was the Roman Empire who they just watched publicly beat and humiliate and throw into prison the Apostle Paul. It's so easy for me to preach this morning. I don't want you to be intimidated by your opponents, but I just I have a hard time knowing if I could say this if I was the Apostle Paul writing to a people that are about to be beaten and thrown into prison to say, now don't let any opponent even frighten you. And he uses a word here that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. The only place we see it used is in Greek literature and it always refers to a horse in battle who in the midst of the battle retreats, pulls back, What Paul is saying is this. No matter what, don't be like that horse that sees the enemy, pulls back, and retreats. No, 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 no. Even in the midst of the battle, stand your ground. Do not be startled. Do not be alarmed. Keep moving forward. And he says, don't be frightened in anything by your opponent. Nothing that they throw your way. Don't be intimidated by that, but in the midst of all of that, stand courageously. And look at this promise of verse 28. This is beautiful. This, what does it mean? Well, this striving and standing, this is going to be a clear sign, so not a subtle sign, a clear sign of their destruction and of your salvation. Now, what in the world does that mean? What it means is this. Listen, church, what it means is this. Is that if you choose by faith to stand for what you believe. Students, standing for what you believe. Standing for what you believe and then striving to advance the gospel by speaking the gospel. What happens is this. Is that you will begin to see that even in the midst of the conflict that comes your way, Jesus wins. And what is going to happen is that your standing and your striving will be a clear picture that those who oppose you are on the wrong side of history. That Jesus always wins. And it will be a sign to you of your salvation. It will be evidence of the life of God in you as you are standing and striving. Somebody asked me this week, how do I know that I'm saved? And it's not because you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. It's because you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and bearing fruit that accords with repentance. So as you are standing and striving, it is evidence of the work of God in your life and it is this massive sign to everyone who opposes you that my God is greater and he will win. What a a great sign, amen? So we are standing and striving courageously for the gospel. The last one quickly is in verses 29 and 30. We must not only courageously stand and courageously strive we must courageously suffer write that down together for the gospel we must courageously suffer together for the gospel now I would love to be able to stop at verse 28 but unfortunately we can't this is why we preach through books of the bible because if we don't I would just be tempted to preach you verses 27 and 28 but if I skip 29 and 30 you're going to know it Here's what it says. Listen to this. So, think, okay, just stop just a minute. Look at me. Think about the context. They're suffering, they're being beaten, thrown into prison. Paul has just said, stand, strive, don't retreat. They're saying, but Paul, you don't understand. And Paul then says this here's why. For it has been granted to you. The word granted means graciously given. What has been graciously given to you? Two things. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should believe in him. Do you see that? The gracious gift that God has given us is the gift of belief. That God has given us the ability to believe. So God has graciously given you faith. He's given you the gospel. He's helped you to understand. He's opened your heart and your mind. He's caused you to be born again. And we would all say salvation is a gracious gift. Amen? But here's what he says. He says, in the exact same way that the gospel is a gracious gift, so is suffering. It has been granted to you, graciously given to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Two gracious gifts. The gracious gift of believing, which we want. The gracious gift of suffering, which we would rather not have. But Paul says these are equally gracious gifts. And the reason he says that is simply this. You cannot say that you have chosen to embrace the very life of Christ and follow him if you somehow are completely unwilling to suffer because the road to the resurrection always goes through Calvary. Did you get that? So this resurrection life we all want, I want it. We want resurrection power and resurrection joy and resurrection life, but the resurrection always comes after the suffering and death. And the more that I am willing to die to myself, the more I am willing to die to my sin, the more I am willing to die to the flesh, the more I experience the life of Christ. This is very simple and very profound. Every moment you die to sin, you say yes to the very life of Christ. And Paul is saying, if you will willingly suffer, say no to things, give sacrificially. I was just talking with Bill Harville this week about our financial needs here at the church and how exciting things are happening. We've got new staff coming on and we're behind budgets. And I look around at this room and it's impossible for me to believe that if everyone in this room was giving faithfully, we would have one problem financially. And what a small cost. God gave you 100% of all of your money. He just ask you to give some back to him. It's almost ridiculous when you think about it. 10%. Oh, <laughs> all of it came from him. Every penny. Let me tell you something. You want the blessing of God on your life? You better start honoring the Lord with your money. And all, the only reason I say that is because the simple idea we're so... Resistant to any cost. What well, Paul is saying, there's a willingness to say, I-, I, will, I will allow my Christianity to cost me something because I choose, chose to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, I can't just get his resurrection. I also have to get his suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says it like this, such an important verse. It says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Isn't that a good verse for our current context because everyone's surprised at suffering. I can't, well, I can't believe this. But rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's suffering, you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you share his suffering, you share his glory. If you want his glory, take his suffering. And I think the significance of the four at the beginning of verse 29 is this. Listen carefully. The only way that you will stand and strive if you're willing to suffer. Because standing and striving will inevitably lead to more suffering. I think that's the reason we don't do it, right? We don't stand, we don't strive because we know we're gonna suffer. And Paul is saying this, listen, the standing, the striving, the suffering all go together and those things together allow you to live a life faithful to the gospel you've believed. So let let me just ask you a couple of questions as we close. What is your Christianity costing you? I mean, isn't it amazing knowing that there are millions of believers losing their life for their faith? I mean, if you're not aware of the suffering church, there are millions of people losing their lives. They say the persecution now is greater maybe than it's ever been in history. We're so oblivious to that. So it's not going to cost you that, but it's got to cost you something. So what is it costing you? Are you standing? Are you striving? Are you willingly suffering? Are you committed to the mission of God? Are you engaged in his work? Are you giving? Are you serving? Or has the pressure of this world allowed you to settle into a type of cultural Christianity that, let me me be careful here, may not actually be Christianity at all? I feel like this week God is calling me to greater gospel faithfulness. I want to be unashamed of the gospel. I want us to be a church unashamed of the gospel. I love, I was so fired up this morning as we got done singing uh, the Jesus Save song. Man, there was some people shouted. (laughs) I mean, I gave a couple of big whoops. But I mean, there was other people joining me in our whoops for the gospel. Now, I love that. Like, I love that. I just want to make sure we do it out there. I just just want to make sure we leave here today standing and striving, just excited about Jesus as we were 30 minutes ago. God is calling us to that. And church, here's what I want to say. In just a minute, we're going to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. Some of you may be very aware this morning that you don't know Jesus Christ. I am begging you to come and let one of our men or women counsel you, talk to you about what that means. Listen, don't close up yet. Hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. If you don't know Jesus, I'm begging you to give your life to Christ. You may have been convicted as a student, as a single, as a married couple, that you are not actually standing the way you should for the gospel. Maybe you're convicted that you're standing, but you're not striving. You're not advancing and moving forward. And maybe you're realizing this morning that you have really hoped that you could have a Christianity that cost you nothing. And God is calling you to be willing to pay the price and suffer for the gospel. Can you imagine a church this size filled with faithful gospel people? May it be so for God's glory. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to stand. We're going to sing one more song. A song which expresses rightfully our desperate need for the Lord because in our flesh we cannot stand or strive or suffer. We desperately need the help of the Holy Spirit. But listen, please listen to me right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is stirring in your heart and calling you to respond, right now is the moment. Say, Pastor, why do you have an invitation at the end of the service? Because every word demands a response and the time that you respond is now. There are men and women who would love to just pray with you. Maybe it's something totally unrelated to the sermon. You just need prayer Humble yourself and come get prayer. God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Come get on your knees this morning. Bring a friend with you, student, and say, I want to be more faithful to stand. I'm I'm sick of living in a way that is not right and holy. I want to stand for the gospel. Maybe there's an unconfessed sin that's keeping you from making progress. Come confess it to someone. Let one of our pastors pray over you for your deliverance from this. Listen, let's just get in the habit of responding week to week to what God is saying. So in just a minute as we sing, immediately we stand up, you step out. Let's respond to the Lord. Father, we give you these moments. We ask that you be magnified in them. Give us the courage to respond. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Let's sing.